0: This episode is presented by Fleet Feet.
1: We need more educators. We need more BIPOC outdoor educators. That is, that's another reason I'm, these certifications are important to me. Um, a lot of people do not feel comfortable and don't want to be in an educational, outdoor educational experience that's white-led. Mm-hmm. They just don't feel comfortable with that. Mm-hmm. And we have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. It's not my experience. I don't understand it, mm-hmm. but it doesn't matter if I understand it or not.
0: My name is Allison Mariella Desir, and this is Out and Back, a podcast exploring how Black, Indigenous and other people of color are reclaiming space in the outdoors. Each episode, you'll hear their stories and we'll get outside with them in their element, which may not always be my element. We're headed to a lake outside of Seattle with Denise Rochelle, the founder and director of The Bronze Chapter. The Bronze Chapter is an organization all about giving Black, Indigenous, and other people of color the experiences and skills necessary to get outside. Denise wants us to rewrite our outdoor narrative to create better stewards of the land. We're going to talk, and she's going to share some kayaking skills. I've never solo kayaked before, so I'm excited and a little nervous. I can swim, but in a very loose sense of the word. If you want to see Denise and I having our talk and adventure, check out our video series. There's a link to it in the show notes, or you can find it at crosscut.com video. Hi, Denise. Hi. Thank you for joining me. I'm excited to chat with you and learn more about who you are and what you do. So could you start by, um, yeah, let's say, tell me your name, where you are where you're born and raised.
1: My name is Denise Rochelle. And I was raised in uh, Seattle and um, I lived on South Capitol Hill. And then when I was very young, we moved to Kirkland when Mm. Kirkland was still country. Mm. I don't even know. I've seen signs
0: for Kirkland. (laughs) I don't know anything about it. It's on the east side. Okay. Um, and would you say like growing up, what was your experience like in terms of being in the outdoors? Did you always do outdoor things?
1: I don't remember not having outdoor experience. That's what I know.
0: Hmm. You know, that, that's your story is unique from many of the stories I tell on this show and many of the folks and folks organizations I'm working with where part of what led them to start an organization was because they didn't see themselves in the outdoors or they felt this um, disconnection from the outdoors. But that's not your story, right? A little bit.
1: A little bit it is. Um, I didn't see myself Mm. obviously outdoors especially when i moved to kirkland because that's it was a very predominantly white city we were maybe one of the only two or three people of color in the whole city Mm. at the time Um, so that definitely was a part of why i started this because i very selfishly wanted to recreate with more people who look like me mm. I've never been afraid of the outdoors. I think that's mm, the that's, big distinction. I've mm. never felt separated from it. I've never felt other people didn't want me
0: there. You mentioned that your parents, one is white, one is black, um, your father in the 1970s was like such an outdoorsman. I'd love if you could share some memories you have of <laughs> your, your father in the outdoors. It
1: well, it was very unusual because he was born in the early 40s when you know, he still couldn't go to some mm. pools he, in Louisiana where he was born, he, there's a lot of things he couldn't do. He couldn't drink out of white water faucets mm. um, and things like that. So my aunts brought him here in Seattle when he was young. He just took on the Pacific Northwest lifestyle mm. and he apparently just gravitated to it. So when he became an adult, he just connected with people, met people mm. that were doing things that he thought would be fun to do and all white, Hmm. And began hanging out with them and doing it. Hmm. So he he was an excellent scuba diver and oh, spear wow. fishing, and he just took up water skiing and he was an excellent slalom skier. Wow! And so you know, I grew up with boats and skiing and yeah. motorcycle riding, riding dirt bikes and wow. camping and fishing. And Did riding you? bicycles. <laughs>
0: Did you ever get a sense from him that um, he felt like, how did he grapple with being the only in these spaces? Or did he share about the discomfort or any fear that he might've had?
1: You know, every now and then he would make some comment about that. But for the most part, I think my gut is that he, it didn't bother him. He did not let this social situation or the conditions environment keep him from doing any of those things. Hmm. So he's a lot like you. You're a lot like him. I'm a lot like him, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> so tell, wow. me, tell me about the story of the Ron chapter, how it came to be.
1: The name came to be, um, came from a camp out that we had at DeRoga. Hmm. It was the first of two of the biggest campouts that I hosted at DeRoga State Park. And one of the uh, participants, a woman who came from New York, hmm. Um, we were in the bathroom and we were talking and she says, this is like a beautiful bronze chapter. She didn't even remember she said it, Mm. but it stuck with me, those words, you know, I kind of did a double take. Mm. It was just, I knew that that had to be the name. Mm. So in 2018, I, I took a road trip to visit a friend in South California, Southern California. And on the way back, I was camping along the way, going visiting the redwoods, flying kites, doing whatever I was doing. And I never saw anybody else who looked like me, mm. um, male, female, or solo. And I travel a lot solo. And I sure didn't see anybody look like me traveling solo. Mm. And so I just was sitting there in the redwoods one night. And I lit my fire. And I cracked my beer. And I was like, where is everybody mm. still? Still. It just was bothering me. And so when I got home, I jumped on some socials and asked people in some affinity groups, I'm not running into you mm. and I'm all over the place. And and so I said, why? And people just started sending me their stories. All of the comments kind of boil down to three categories, which was, um, I don't have opportunity. Um, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm. Um, so I don't have skills and um, I don't want to be doing these things new or rusty in a predominantly white environment, mm. and so th- those things were not rocket science. Mm. You know, they were just very simple, and it seemed really sad to me mm. that I mean, to me these weren't even barriers; these were just like connections that hadn't been made. Mm. Um, like, and I just so talking to my husband, and I said, "Well, I can." do something about every single one of these things. And I'm not an outdoor professional, I don't have an outdoor education degree, but I can do those things. Mm. And so he said, "Well, do it then. (laughs) I love your husband. (laughs) And so I found a campground that was pretty close to my house and I rented it. It was a group site and I just started posting opportunities for people to learn to camp. Mm. You wanna come learn to camp? You know, or do you want to come, if you're rusty, relearn, you know, get familiar with your stuff. And if you're a seasoned camper, do you want to come lend your spirit to the space? I love that. And that's how, that was literally the first camp out that I hosted and it was 12 people there. And um, and I just kept doing it. One thing led to another, led to another, led to another. Then the pandemic came and I didn't do a whole lot, wasn't a lot happening. And then people started sending me messages saying, you know, we want to do something. Well, what are you doing? So I looked at some campgrounds that I thought would be neat, um, that I hadn't been to before, that would be neat. I have some criteria, beautiful, you know, educational with a water proximity. And I found Daroga. I hadn't been there before. It would always been on my radar. And so I checked it out and I was hesitant because it was gonna cost me almost $1,000 to rent that for a long weekend the spaces filled up that were allowed. I rented it the next weekend. So then I was two thousand bucks in and I was like, This is scary now, yeah. right? <laughs> it was scary before, but now it's really scary. And it was, it was amazing. So it was the they were the biggest camp outs I'd hosted up to that date. Um, it was about a hundred BIPOC that camped in those two weekends, which was a lot for me. And um, you know, somebody like I told you that woman came from Somebody came from New York and somebody came from San Francisco and people came just from different places and I just knew that there was a space for this for what Mm. I was trying to do Mm. Um, even though it seemed very you know modest um, and easy Mm. I said well I can keep doing this but now I want to do more things (laughs) I don't I don't want to just see people camping I want to ski with people water ski. I want to snow ski with people. I want to snowboard with people. I want to kayak with people. I want to ride my bike with people. You know, I want to see other solo people, especially women, especially BIPOC women, out when I'm traveling on road trips and Mm. stuff. And so I knew I needed to do something more with a strong educational component.
0: Mm.
1: And I just blindly went for it.
0: (laughs) I, I mean, I love that. I guess. <laughs> Have you always been a person who sees something and realizes I can do something about it and jumps in? Because not everybody does, right? People, no. lots of people see an issue and are like, "Nope,
1: <laughs> no. <laughs> that well, sucks." I'm not loud. Mm. I don't get a lot of attention because I'm not loud. I'm mm. not controversial. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty apolitical. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's not a lot about me that gets a lot of attention. Mm. So I was thinking, well, can I am I the person to do this? You know, Mm. do I have the personality that can pull this off? Mm. That was really the thing that I thought more about than um, than actual doing the thing. Mm. I just knew I wanted to do it. Other people wanted it Mm. and nobody else was doing it. Mm. So I said, I can do it. Mm. And so I did it. I'm trying to do it. I'm still trying to do it.
0: You are doing it. I'm so grateful for what you're doing because I was just on the internet looking for stuff to do. I moved from New York a year and a half ago. So I'm used to seeing black and brown people everywhere. And then I see this thing, the bronze chapter, and the name was really enticing. I'm like, this has to be something for me. (laughs) Um, So I see this amazing bioluminescence tour and I'm thinking, oh, it's gonna be this like glass bottom boat, (laughs) we're all gonna get it together. And then I missed one crucial word, paddle. It was there, didn't even register. So I, we showed up with my husband, my husband and I showed up and my husband gets out first to like check things out and he comes back and he's like, you're not gonna like this. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, it sounds awesome. He's like, we are in double kayaks. So I was like, oh my gosh. But what was so cool is everybody there was awesome. It was the most diverse group of people I've been around since being in Washington state. Yeah. Wow. And um, there were folks of all different levels. So we went paddling at night in the ocean (laughs) for my first trip ever.
1: Yeah, that's what it's about. It's experience. Mm -hmm. You had that experience and from that experience you probably feel more confident.
0: Absolutely. And And I want to do everything.
1: (laughs) See, I mean, it just, it's, it's a spark and it's very, very simple. That that bioluminescence paddle is a special partnership to me because kayaking is inherently a high barrier mm-hmm. activity or sea kayaking, especially with the component of black people in particular, not having strong relationships with the water. Yeah. Um, so people come, most people who come on this bioluminescence paddle have never kayaked. So, so they're in a they're in a kayak. Never kayaking before. And what you can see there, you know, you touch bioluminescence, you see it. Yeah. You you create it through your own agitation. Yeah. Those bioluminescence paddles have become such a ramp to other outdoor recreation for people.
0: Yeah, it was it was also so amazing because I had seen bioluminescence in in like Disney movies, The Princess and the Frog. Where there's this scene and like I didn't really have a recognition that that's a real thing that happens in nature. Yeah, right. So then to be able to experience it, and to your point, experience it where there's this level of comfort around people who look like you, people who may have had similar experiences because we look like you know each mm-hmm. other. Um, I wanted to go back to something that you mentioned just briefly about black people and their relationship to water. And I had read a recent statistic that I think it's like 58% of black people don't know how to swim, which is twice the statistic for white people.
1: That sounds about right.
0: And it's both shocking and not.
1: (laughs) And they, and black drownings in King County account for most of the unnecessary drownings. Mm. So it it is a big deal, Mm it's a big deal.
0: And I think about, you know, you mentioned how your father grew up in a time when he couldn't swim in public pools, right? So Mm -hmm. just this connection between historical practices that exist, and then where we find ourselves
1: yeah, well well it can't, it's historical racism that's what prevented the opportunities the experience the skills mm. so if your grandparents didn't experience it and they didn't teach it to their children their children teach it to their children
0: mm. then
1: it doesn't happen
0: mm. and
1: you know for the most part it doesn't right. happen right and you know we're seeing that here especially in the Pacific Northwest we have water everywhere. Yeah. Lakes, rivers, streams, the sea. Um, and people around here n- need to know how to be safe in the water. And that's just my opinion. Mm-hmm. And um, having that skill opens up a whole huge, mm-hmm. just plethora of opportunities yeah. you can do here kayak, paddleboard, um, surfing. I mean, it just it goes on and on. Mm-hmm. And we need to be in those spaces. If we don't experience those spaces, we won't have a relationship with those spaces. We won't learn to value those spaces. We won't protect those spaces. So then there's the stewardship, preservation, conservation piece that gets missed, Mm. you know, in 20 years when we become a um, predominantly non-white nation, Mm. then Who's going to care for these spaces?
0: Mm. That's
1: a big deal for me in the Bronx chapter. Who's going to care for these spaces? We don't have enough population in these spaces to create policy for them. Wow. We need scientists in the space. Mm. We need engineers in the space. Mm. We need educators in the space. And if through some educational, some spark that a bronze chapter could maybe give, that can lead someone, to even be interested in that mm. is what I'm hoping, because it's really scary for me yeah. to think what's gonna happen to all of our public spaces, land and marine, in the next 20 years. Yeah, When we're not there, we're not at the table making policy or caring. We're not mm. stewards, so mm. then what? It is very hard to even get BIPOC out doing trail work. Mm. I mean, we have to start so far down. We have mm. so far to go. Mm. We need to figure it out.
0: That's such a powerful vision, and I love, you know, it's, it, it is about, of course, on the micro level, enjoying it. But it's connected to this much bigger celebration, but also problem that we have to tackle, right? Like this world, resources are finite, and if we're not connected and caring about them, we're really at the mercy of other people.
1: Right. And when those other people are us, mm-hmm. Right. then what?
0: Right. Stick around. We haven't even gotten to the adventure yet. This episode is presented by Fleet Feet. Fleet Feet believes that running changes everything. We sell the shoes, apparel, and gear you need to get started. And we host fun runs, training groups, and events. Whether you're training for your first mile or your 50th marathon, we're here to run with you. Learn more at FleetFeet.com. There was something that you said, um, what was it that I wanna go back to? Oh, you know, when you started the bronze chapter, you shared you had no certifications, right? Like you were just like, I can solve these things because, you know, anybody with, in the outdoors could, but you've since gotten a lot of certifications and I'd love for you to talk about that process, even so recent as getting your woofer certif- certification, what that has been like for you.
1: So I've never been, um you know, like when I do sports, I'm just not extreme. I don't feel the need to be the fastest or Mm -hmm. go the highest or anything like that. I'm out for my own enjoyment. And so I've never been a collector of degrees Mm. or certifications, but now, you know, with the bronze chapter, it it means more. Mm. I'm presenting myself and hoping other people can look at me Mm. and say, wow, that's kind of inspiring. Mm. She's doing something different. And if she can do it, I can do it. And also there's a component of when people are with the bronze chapter, they need to be taken care of. They need to have some kind of level of confidence that Mm. if we're out doing something that they have a decent chance of someone being able to help them
0: Mm, so
1: that's what led me to get um, my own wilderness first aid certification and host a class where we got 16 bipoc amazing certified with wilderness first aid and then that's what led me to wilderness first responder because Mm. i can't teach wilderness first aid eventually without woofer right and the same thing with um with airy with avalanche training and um i'm going to be getting a leave no trace master certification, master educator certification pretty soon and mm. you know, some alpine certification because I'm trying to make myself more valuable mm. to my community in mm. so many ways mm. and that's I'm investing in myself so I have more to give to the people around me.
0: So you, you know, you have all these certifications and it sounds like this is an incredible growing organization but is the work of one woman. What is your hope for the bronze chapter?
1: Um, I hope the bronze chapter is able to slowly expand its offerings and the people who offer it. I want to see more people (laughs) who look like us Mm. having more varied outdoor experiences in a skilled way. And we need more educators. Mm. We need more BIPOC outdoor educators. That is, that's another reason I'm. these certifications are important to me. Um, a lot of people do not feel comfortable and don't want to be in an educational, outdoor educational experience that's white-led. Mm-hmm. They just don't feel comfortable with that. Mm. And we have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. It's not my experience, I don't understand it, mm. but it doesn't matter mm-hmm. if I understand it or not.
0: That is such an important distinction because I, you know, none of us can understand everybody's lived experience. But this idea of, I mean, empathy and like, that's not my experience, but OK, we need to address it. <laughs> right. There, it's not going to change if we just pretend that that's not an obstacle for folks.
1: Yeah, there are people who look like me who have more you know who have similar experiences to me Mm -hmm. but we are we're the minority Mm. most people don't and um, more and more white outdoor educators that i meet are understand that Mm. and they are very willing to come into a space and to teach and you know be an information sharer mm. and completely honor the space mm. and let what happens hap- needs to happen happen and needs to let what needs to be said be said mm. and uh, i just i think that's great so people who come through the brunch chapter you know they have that experience and they leave knowing i had a good experience mm. that was okay mm-hmm. to me that's like wow because if everybody had my experience we wouldn't be having this conversation exactly because the world would be full of me you know seattle would be full of me and it's not Mm -hmm. and the flip side of that is that um it's only happened once but somebody did make a comment to me that i wasn't black enough Mm. to connect with black people outdoors Mm. in seattle and that kind of, that was bizarre mm. and I didn't expect that, but I was like, wow, mm. that is, that's interesting mm-hmm. coming from my own community, that perspective. Mm. And so I know it exists out there. That's not, mm-hmm. you know, maybe it only been said to me one time, but, um, and that's simply because i I'm, you know, I'm vocal and I'm pretty open about who I am and they knew I was biracial.
0: Mm. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that kind of gatekeeping, You know, I never, with gatekeeping, I think about where is the hurt that is creating this kind of behavior, right? This idea of who is, and I get that in different ways being, um, I'm black, but I'm Afro-Latinx and my mom's Colombian, my father's Haitian. And so in many cases, I'm not black enough. I'm certainly not Latinx enough, Mm. right? So I'm like, well then who the hell am I?
1: (laughs) People have asked me this Uh at campouts and stuffs. how is it that... I just go places and do things. Mm. I fit in anywhere I go. I get along with everybody. And you go solo. I go, I go solo. I feel comfortable with that. Um, I, and I didn't realize that was not everyone's experience. Mm. I, like, it's so normal for me. It's mm. just me. And so then I was thinking, God, I think it's how I grew up. It's, it, it's, it's opportunity. Mm. It's exposure. It's experience. All those things come together to, like, you know, make us who we are. That's why exposure, that's why opportunity is so important. Mm. It's just, it makes us who we are. Mm. And when I was young, I grew up, my mm. family had a restaurant. And so um, the first Creole restaurant in Seattle, you know, downtown Seattle had, was, was a lively vibe. I mean, ever since I can remember, uh, I was little, I grew up with, around trans people. Mm. This is back when no, nobody knew what trans people were. Mm-hmm. Trans people, you know, cross-dressers, serious 70s pimps and mm. prostitutes, and a whole different section of houseless people. And, and they were my friends. I was always around such different people mm. that I don't, there is not a situation I can even imagine being in that I wouldn't feel comfortable.
0: Hmm.
1: I, just, I just have to, somebody tells me a story, I believe it at face value. Hmm. And I'm like, how do, we, how, do I, how do we get you to where you want to be hmm. from your own experience? Because hmm. they want to feel that. They want right. to feel that freedom. right? And if I can do something about that, I think that would be really cool. Hmm. But yeah, so when I was in elementary school, I would leave class because I was bored and I wasn't feeling like I was wanted really in that environment anyway. So I would just walk outside and go sit under a tree. <laughs> and that was my space. I mean, that mm. was where I felt comfortable because that wanted me, you know? Mm.
0: That's beautiful. Even hearing you say that, I'm also hearing your, your sort of advice around taking people's experiences at face value. Right, because for me to hear that you feel comfortable in almost every space, I'm like, in my head, I'm like, that's not true, that can't be true. But it's like, that has been your experience. And mm-hmm. so um, it's an important lesson um, in encountering difference, right? That when somebody tells you their experience, you believe it, you know?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, amplify black stories, right? Absolutely. Believe black stories.
0: All of them. Believe mm-hmm. all of them. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, we have different experiences. Mm-hmm. And. Yeah, you have to validate them, it is what it is. Yeah, We can never go forward with something if we're holding people back or oppressing them mm-hmm. through their own stories. <laughs> right, right,
0: if we're, not, if we're not letting their narrative be, be the truth, right? If we're trying to say, no, it must be the narrative that I know and that makes me feel comfortable or seen. It sounds yeah. right to
1: my ears. Yeah. Because your story sounds like stupid shit to me. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, it's like, it's for real. Yeah. You know. So when I say I'm a chameleon, I feel like that, mm. I am. I don't look at myself and see my color. Mm. People want me to be at a box, want me to have a label. They want me to have a more activist voice. They want me to have more political voice. They want me to all the time label myself as a black woman.
0: Mm.
1: But by doing that, I completely um, ignore my mother mm. who raised me. So there's a, just just you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff in there. So I'm really fighting to be me in this mm. organization. I'm mm. just me. Mm. Um, I don't have a fight with anybody. Mm. I just want to create a more balanced outdoor recreation scene. And I'm not going to color my hair like mm. people have asked me to do. You your hair is amazing. I've been asked, to. Uh, I you should maybe think about coloring your hair, your representational representational face of the bronze chapter if i cover my hair all the way up i don't get that stuff Mm. if i wear hats i don't get that stuff it's so when people can see my hair Mm. that ageism kicks in Mm. and all of a sudden people ask or curious about how i do something that they weren't curious before Mm. and so now i have pushback on my own like i'm not doing it Mm. this is this is who i am and maybe If you're inspired by that, Mm -hmm. because I'm almost 60 years old and I'm rocking it.
0: I would not have (laughs) guessed 60. I'm
1: like, you know what? And I can out hike most people I hike with. I can out cycle most people I cycle Mm. with. I have good stamina. I have good health. And I'm just like, be you. Yeah. Don't let people stop you. And the media does not serve us well. No. The outdoor media, especially. Who doesn't want to put people who look like me mm-hmm. in their magazines? You know, I'm not this this box. Mm-hmm. And this box is not gonna save our planet. We're not mm-hmm. an affinity organization. Meaning that we do not only serve the black community. Mm-hmm. To me, we're all in this together. Mm-hmm. We are all needed to learn about and help the environment and be here in these natural spaces
0: no i mean i understand that i also personally i think about you know that my issue is not with white people my issue is with white supremacy and systems that have pitted white people against other people Mm -hmm. right so the issue that we all have to fight against is white supremacy that is creating this space where we're ruining our environment right? right like white people aren't benefiting from that either. <laughs> you know what I mean? I would love if you could tell me the experiences that the Bronze Chapter offers.
1: This year, we've offered a wilderness first aid certification class. We've offered a um, women's outdoor self-defense and beyond class. Mm. It was super powerful. Mm. Um, we've hosted camp outs where People can come at all skill levels, learn to camp. We've offered a, a kayak foundation mm. class. Um, I've offered some knot tying classes. Mm. Um, it's been a long year, but it <laughs> doesn't sound like much, but it's been no, full. No, it's been
0: <laughs> It's been full. I want to ask about your shirt.
1: It says, rewrite, rewrite your outdoor, outdoor narrative. narrative. Tell me about That's that. That's what we're about. Um, so we all have a story mm-hmm. that is, we tell ourselves or that been told to us and we believe it. I mean, we all have a narrative and that informs how we move mm. and what maybe we try and what we don't try. That whole thing about black people don't swim. Black people don't like, don't like cold weather. So we don't, and we're not in doing snow sports. I hate that. Mm. That is so destructive. We're about, you know, experiences. Experience this and this thing that you experience. Now you have a new story. Mm. You can read your narrative can be whatever you want it to be. It can be this thing today. It can be something else tomorrow. And you are writing your own book. All your stories are in the bronze chapter Mm. in your own bronze chapter. Mm. It is our time to write these stories. And the more people I can help, and the bronze chapter can help. Collectively, we can help people write their own stories. That will become lineage
0: and mm. legacy
1: in any small fashion. You become changed. You're changed. That you know, goosebumps. Our, our meeting today will change me. Mm. It will change you.
0: Absolutely. You know we
1: share, and where we take that tomorrow, who knows? But we might say something, I I might say something tomorrow to somebody, because I talked to you, Mm. that could change their life Mm -hmm. or maybe inspire them to do something they never Mm. even thought of doing. And this, you know, it's reciprocal, right? Absolutely. So it's all about what we tell ourselves and what we tell other people.
0: I love that. I'm thinking back to my kayaking experience and how what I told myself was, forget black people (laughs) don't do this, I don't do this, (laughs) right? right? And, but I left that experience being like, Yes, I do, um, and I'm so excited because I get to do it again with you today. That's right. I know you're not kayak certified, but tell me, what are we, what are we gonna do out there on the water?
1: Well, I'm going to get you in a boat. You can see how easy it is to move these boats to move yourself just by your hands, mm-hmm. and you can steer yourself with your hands mm-hmm. once you get deep enough. Yeah. It doesn't take much right. to move your boat. Yeah, And if I use both my hands, I can really move my boat.
0: Right, right. <laughs> I'm using my paddling with my hands.
1: All right, here we go. I'll teach you how to hold your paddle. Hmm. I'll teach you how to, um, I'll teach you some basic paddle strokes. When you're paddling, remember? Kind of swimming. We'll right. swim with the... My swimming is a doggy paddle, so. <laughs> yes, okay. I go forward, I go backward. How to stop, very awesome. important. So now, it's a good thing to know how to stop when you're yeah. going straight, right? Yeah. The way we stop in a kayak is to just be in the paddle, always position, and we get our push our water. Oh. We just resist. The direction. Uh huh. So you can take a couple strokes, a few strokes, and
0: then stop. This is just relaxing, even
1: being just sitting here. Yeah. Isn't it? It really is. Yeah. Talk about extreme adventure. You could just sit here and yeah. just have a beautiful
0: experience. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I want to thank you for today and introducing me to something new. I have a new tool in my tool belt, so.
1: I'm, I'm so grateful <laughs> for the opportunity to share the Bronze chapter and share kayaking and share the water and just hang with you. Thank you.
0: <laughs> if you want to continue adventuring with me and dive deeper into this story, check out the show notes. There, you'll find links to the video series and an article I wrote about the themes of this episode. This podcast is hosted and reported by Allison Mariella Desir. That's me. My producer is Brooklyn Jamerson Flowers. The executive producer is Mark Baumgarten. Audio production from Bryce Y. Adolfson and Sarah E. Hall. And audio support from Rusty Bogal and Seth Halloran. You can subscribe to Out & Back wherever you listen. And if you like the show, please review us. It helps create excitement around a new show. And if you'd like to support the work we do at Crosscut, go to crosscut.com membership. In addition to supporting our journalism, members receive complete access to on-demand programming from KCTS 9, Seattle's PBS station. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit Crosscut.com. Out and Back is a product of Cascade Public Media. Next time, we're gonna finish the season by taking a hike.